Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. We've been walking through a series called My Historical Mentors and really just highlighting stories and examples and testimonies from women in history that have personally impacted me. And I hope you've been enjoying the series as much as I have. This week, I'd like to talk specifically about weakness in our spiritual heroes because none of them were perfect. They all had struggles. They made mistakes. They had human weakness. And when we encounter human weakness in people that we look up to, it can be a little bit daunting and we often don't know how to respond in a proper way. So I want to just dive into that biblically. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that there are a lot of great Christmas specials that we're offering right now through Set Apart. There are some great book bundles and magazine bundles, online courses that you can get at a great discount. It's a great opportunity to just look at ways that you can edify other women in your life this holiday season. So I just encourage you, if you are looking for meaningful gift ideas, click the links in this podcast podcast description, or you can go to setapart.org and click on shop to find out all of the specials that we have available for a limited time. I think it's going through December 15th. So let's talk about weakness in our spiritual heroes. Again, none of them were perfect. Sometimes we see these people in history, we read their stories, and we're so awe-inspired by what God did in and through their lives. It's really easy to put them up on a pedestal or to think that they were somehow perfect, that they never made any mistakes, and that we should just completely emulate everything that we see in their lives. It's really important that we understand that even the most amazing people that we look up to biblically or historically were just people. And what we really need to be focusing on is the work of God, the work that God did in and through their lives, not on necessarily the person themselves and what they accomplished. It's also really important that we take the biblical truths that we see in Christians' lives and we let God personalize it for us with our story, our situation, and that we always go back to the word of God and let that be our primary guide. The stories that we glean from looking up to spiritual heroes should only reiterate or highlight truths that we learn from the word of God. It shouldn't ever replace guidance from the word of God. God's word is always the final authority in our life. It's the primary source of our spiritual fuel. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So historical stories, biographies, these these men and women that have gone before us can be just a great emphasis on specific truths that they discovered in their walk with God or ways that they applied biblical principles to their own unique journey, but it should never become our source of spiritual fuel. One of the reasons I love exploring biographies and stories from Christians in the past is that we get to see how people applied the life-changing truth of scripture through some really hard times, some really intense struggles. Most of the people who have stories to tell that ended up in biographies went through some really extreme suffering or really extreme circumstances. And it always encourages me to know that if God's faithfulness and grace was sufficient for them in their situation, usually they went through something far more extreme than I ever will or could imagine going through, but if it was sufficient for them, it certainly is sufficient for me in whatever I am going through. So that is one of the reasons I love reading Christian biographies, but I also believe that biographies and stories of Christian heroes should never replace the word of God in our lives. The word of God always needs to be our anchor point. And 
again, looking at the lives of men and women in history emphasizes truths that we've already gleaned from the word of God. That's the way it should be. Another key danger in putting our spiritual heroes up on a pedestal is that it's easy to start believing that whatever they discovered, whatever truths they discovered and applied to their life is something that we can't attain. We put them on this high level and we think, well, they were special. They were in a special category. They had a special version of faith. But in reality, the focus, again, is not on their faith. It's on the mighty God that worked in and through their lives. It's really unrealistic to expect that our Christian heroes, our spiritual heroes, our mentors, those that we look up to, never will make mistakes or never made mistakes or that they never went through valleys or had struggles along the way as they were seeking to apply God's truth to their lives. My criteria on whether I will glean truths and inspiration from someone's life, from their biography, from their story, is just looking at their focus. If their focus was on Jesus Christ, and if they had reverence for the Word of God, and they built their lives upon the truth of the Word of God, they didn't just sort of veer away into their own sort of pet doctrines or odd philosophies. You know, sometimes you read someone's story or read someone's book, and, you know, they have a lot of great truth, but they also have kind of these odd pet side perspectives or doctrine that isn't really based in the word of God. It's just based on human opinion. And when they begin to emphasize that, that usually is a a red flag to me to put the book down and that that's not really going to edify me spiritually. But if someone really constantly was referring to the word of God and turning to the word of God and revering the word of God, and their focus throughout their whole journey was on Jesus Christ and him crucified, then I know that of course they're not perfect and I may not agree with everything they believed or everything they did or every way that they applied truth, but I believe that they have a story that I can glean from, that I can learn from. One of the reasons that I love being indirectly mentored by Christian women in history is that I can see the end of their story. I know that they finished the race well. And even though there are some amazing women of God that are still living today that I look up to, there's just something really refreshing about seeing that full picture, that going all the way from the time they first got to know who Jesus was to the time that they went to heaven to be with him. There's just something really powerful about that. So what about when we discover human weakness in our spiritual heroes? One of the things that I see happening a lot lately in Christianity is after someone dies, usually there's somebody who a lot of people have looked up to and respected and really been blessed by spiritually. And then the next thing you know, they're kind of being thrown under a bus in some way, whether it's sketchy information that comes out about them or some scandal that nobody knew about until they were after they were gone. But one of the things that is troublesome about this is that the person is no longer alive to offer their perspective, to offer another side of the story, to correct anything that maybe has been incorrectly represented. And it's just hearsay from other people. Or maybe, oh, I read their journal, I read this letter, or I talked to this friend, but they're not there personally to defend themselves. So I think that can be a little bit dangerous. And in some cases, it can even be a tactic of the enemy, which causes us to question the amazing truths that we were inspired in their lives in the first place, sort of cause us to throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. And that can be dangerous because we maybe have been really impacted by someone's life and watching the way that they apply truth to their life. And then something comes out about them and we think, oh, well, 
just going to throw out everything I ever learned from this person and almost use it as an excuse to excuse ourselves from responding to anything convicting or challenging from their lives, from their example that would call us to a higher standard. I believe the best way to study Christian men and women's lives is to not necessarily emphasize or take delight in their mistakes, their human weakness, because of course that will be there. But it's really easy to study someone's life with a snide attitude that sort of says, hey, you know, we can't sugarcoat these people in Christian history. Christians will always be a mess. Their lives were just as messed up as my life is. And that just excuses the fact that God's not calling me to anything more. I think that is a dangerous approach. I think a better approach to looking at the lives of our Christian heroes is to emphasize and focus on the aspects of their lives that are truly edifying to our faith and to the body of Christ. Of course, we can know about their struggles and their weaknesses, but not an overemphasis on their struggles and weaknesses. I would much rather hear about their godly decisions, their passion for Christ, their strengths, not in a way that glosses over their mistakes, but in a way that can really strengthen my faith and strengthen my Christian walk and point me closer to Jesus. I don't believe that Christians in the past should be highlighted just to emphasize or underscore their problems, their weakness, because that doesn't actually help us focus on God's power and his faithfulness. It just causes us to focus on their moments of weakness, their failures, and their struggles. There are a couple of scriptures that come to mind here. Romans 14, 19 says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So that word edify is so key because that is what we are supposed to be doing when we converse with other Christians, whether it's through the written word or the spoken word. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, edify or edification in these verses means to build someone up in their faith, in their Christian growth. So the words that we speak are not to be worthless or corrupt or pointless. They are meant to serve that purpose of building up others in their faith. And one of the most disturbing trends that I've seen in Christianity in the past couple of decades is that oftentimes we focus on stories or experiences that foster doubt rather than build up. Up faith. And I think when we overfocus on other Christians' mistakes and weaknesses, there are usually two results to the hearer, the person that hears about this. Either it's relief, so it's this personally letting myself off the hook for any kind of higher standard or specific application of truth that I may have gleaned from that person's life. Because look, you know, they made these mistakes and they had these problems. Therefore, even though I may have been challenged to a closer walk with Christ or a specific application of truth when I heard their story originally, and I can just throw that out now. I don't really need to apply it to my life because they're disqualified from having a, an impact on me. Or the other result could be disillusionment, where you, you kind of get discouraged and you think, oh, maybe it's not even really possible to go after more in Christianity. And I feel like that is a mistake in how their stories were communicated. If that is the result, if we are causing our hearers or our readers to be disillusioned or to be relieved and sort of say, well, then I guess I don't even need to try or to rise up to this standard, then we're not really telling their story in an edifying way. One example that I really appreciated in a Christian biography that I read a couple of years ago was a book about Biddy Chambers, and it was called Mrs. Oswald Chambers. And the author really did a great job of walking us through Biddy's Chambers' life. She didn't sugarcoat her life. She was very clear about her struggles and the hardships that she went through, but also very 
honoring and very edifying in the things that Biddy did that were so beneficial to the body of Christ. And just her love, her care, her consideration of other people, her sacrificial love of pouring her life out for the body of Christ around the world as she brought Oswald Chambers' words to the world through the books that she compiled of his teachings. And when Biddy Chambers was near the end of her life, she suffered from mental illness. And the way that that was handled in her biography was so beautifully done, I thought, because it did not overemphasize the mental illness and it was very quick to say that it did not impact her spiritual example or her spiritual relationship with Christ, even though she was struggling with this mental illness or this, I, I can't remember if it was Alzheimer's or something that affected her mind. It did not affect her spirit, did not affect her relationship with Christ or the impact that she had. And I thought that was just really um, well done. And I appreciated that. My husband, Eric, a number of years ago, preached a sermon called The Blanket Carriers. And he talked about this moment in Noah's life from scripture, where here Noah is this great man of God, but he had this moment where he had gotten drunk in his tent and he was uncovered. He had no clothes on. It was a very shameful situation. We don't quite know what led to that or what caused that. But he had two sons and they both responded in a different way. The first one exposed him and was quick to go out and point out his weakness and this mistake that he had made to other people. But the other two sons came in and they went backwards so they wouldn't even look at him uncovered in his tent and they covered him up with a blanket. And so one son exposed him and handled the whole situation very dishonorably. And the other sons handled it with honor and with grace. And so that concept of covering over others' weaknesses with a blanket instead of broadcasting them to the world is such a beautiful picture in scripture of how we are to be with the body of Christ. Also, looking at the example of the apostle Paul, talk about a Christian hero. But he was not perfect. He was given so much grace from God for what he was called to do. I mean, you think about the amazing responsibility that God gave to him, what God entrusted to him, to the point where he was able to say to the early Christians, follow me as I follow Christ. But he also says in another verse that he has not already been made perfect. He has not already attained that state of perfection. And he also calls himself the least of all the apostles. So he's very clear that he is not a perfect finished product. And yet, because he was pressing toward the prize, the heavenward prize, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Clearly, there was a blend of human weakness in Paul along with Christian heroism. And even though in scripture, there is a very clear acknowledgement of the fact that he was not perfect and he had not arrived, there's a lot more emphasis in the Bible on what God did in and through Paul to build up the churches and the example that he set for the believers. If a modern biographer were to write about Paul, he might take a different tact and think, well, I just need to emphasize his struggles and his weaknesses and the fact that he wasn't perfect and that he was the least of all the apostles and all the things that he did wrong, but that's not the tact that the Bible takes. It doesn't put him on a pedestal, but it also doesn't overemphasize his weakness. It focuses on the aspects of Paul's life and calling that were edifying to the church. 
One quote that really blessed me a number of years ago was from Amy Carmichael in one of her books. She was struggling with, when do I speak up about weakness in somebody else's life, and when do I remain silent and just be a blanket carrier like Noah's sons? And she believed that God told her that it was to be a rule of silence where she would not broadcast others' weakness unless it was actually very important for the good of another soul. So for example, if she saw weakness in a Christian who was leading another Christian astray or speaking lies to another Christian or doing something dangerous to them physically or emotionally or spiritually, she would speak up for the good of the other person. Even when she did, it was done in love and in honor. And if it was just more, okay, I see human weakness in them, she kept her mouth shut. And she really had such a a beautiful hallmark of discretion over her life and ministry and very much honoring towards other people. She had a rule in her fellowship, the absent must be safe with us. And I think that would serve so many of us well, that when the absent are not present with us, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, they feel safe with us. We're not going to just start blabbing about their weaknesses and what we see in their life that we don't like. And the same is true with Christian biography. We just have to be careful that we are blanket carriers, that we are always honoring, again, not pretending they're perfect or glossing over their struggles, but not over-focusing on their struggles. I love Corey Ten Boom's example as well. Her books are so transparent. She was so quick to point out her struggles, her weaknesses, her sin. And especially the one story that I love when she talked about being so annoyed when she was speaking in a foreign country once because the service just went on and on and on and she was tired and people were actually giving their lives to Christ and she sort of realized, woke up and realized, hey, I have so much ego and so much selfishness right now that I care more about my bed than the souls of these people whose lives are being touched. And then she went to another church the next day and confessed that as sin. And because of her humility and because she talked about I knew what to do with my sin, to take it to the cross of Christ and receive the forgiveness and the victory that is mine in Jesus. She not only shared with them her struggle with this particular sin, but also the victory of Christ. And that is what I feel like is an edifying way to look at somebody's struggles. We see their struggles, but we also see the victory that they went after in Jesus, or we see the faithfulness of God in and through their struggles. Sometimes I feel like we're very much in danger of slipping into this idea of the spirit of the age. This is what someone on our Ellerslie team called it at one point. But it's very common today, whether it's children towards parents or people towards their spiritual mentors, to discount or dismiss people who have invested into our lives spiritually, where we just think, okay, yeah, they they impacted me for a season, but now I don't need them anymore. I don't really value what they poured into my life. And that's very, very sad and very heartrending for those who did pray and invest into our lives and pour into us. And I always want to be so careful that even in studying our Christian heroes, we don't do the same thing where we kind of look at their lives and we're blessed. And then we decide, you know, I don't really appreciate their example anymore because I realize that they have this weakness or this problem. Sometimes I also feel that an author can lean towards over-dramatizing struggles because it makes for better reading. And as an author, I know the temptation to do that. You want to make things sound more dark or more dramatic or more scandalous or more whatever because it keeps the reader more interested 
But basically, I think the danger in that is gossip after somebody has died. It can still be gossip, even if the person is no longer living. When you're emphasizing they did this wrong and they did that wrong and they had this struggle and this scandal and this drama, that is not edifying to the body of Christ. One reason to maybe highlight or emphasize human weakness would be if for the good of our readers, for the good of our hearers, for the good of another soul, we're warning them about someone who truly is dangerous to the body of Christ. They are leading the church astray. They are promoting lies. They have a a false gospel. That is a time when we do need to speak up and we do need to be very forthright in saying, this is wrong. This is dangerous. But when it's just a matter of saying, yeah, hey, they did this wrong and they did that wrong in their personal lives, again, that's probably emphasizing the wrong thing that doesn't truly edify. There is a way to share about struggles that emphasizes restoration, hope, and victory. So it's important to show weakness, but in a Christ-centered and victorious way, not to emphasize or dwell on weakness. So whether this is in Christian biographies and lives that we study of Christian heroes, or just the way that we interact with the body of Christ, these are very important principles that we all need to remember. A few other thoughts that I want to share When Amy Carmichael was sharing some of her most private struggles, they're captured in a book called His Thoughts Said, His Father Said. It's this little booklet, and she doesn't even really personalize it to her own journey, her own walk, but you can very much tell that it's about her life. She talks about some of the most important questions that she was wrestling with and taking to God and asking why and feeling discouraged and feeling angry toward other people or whatever it was. But every struggle that she talked about was very carefully expressed in an honorable and loving way. It wasn't dramatized. It didn't disparage other people. And she always countered every lie that she was struggling with, with God's truth. And that's what makes the book so powerful. When you talk about lies or struggles or emotional battles that you're facing, but you counter those things with God's truth, it can be very edifying for the body of Christ. One of the other things I will say about spiritual heroes is that often those men and women who really follow hard after Christ, who really are called to impact the world in a significant way or go through tremendous suffering and come out victorious with an amazing story of God's faithfulness to tell, often those people are really going to be the brunt of spiritual attack. And along the way, when you're the brunt of spiritual attack, there can be some pretty intense battles with depression and discouragement. There can be relational issues because of that attack. And if you were to dig into that person's journal or private letters or even private conversations and just get kind of snapshots of those low points of spiritual attack, it can definitely paint a pretty dismal picture, but you don't always see the full picture of the work of grace that God was doing in their lives in and through that season or those seasons of spiritual attack. And some of our Christian heroes, especially in the past few decades, didn't really understand how to engage in spiritual warfare. So they were often hounded by enemy attack in specific areas of their lives for many years, simply because they weren't walking in that place of understanding how to say no and resist 
Satan. And that was just maybe a blind spot for them. And yet it didn't diminish the power of their relationship with Christ and how they did apply truth in other areas of their life. They may have had dark nights of the soul when the enemy was hitting them hard. And sometimes a journal, a letter, or a conversation with a friend would capture that side of it. So it makes sense why we can sometimes see these little snippets of someone's life and think, oh, wow, they really had all these issues. And it could just be that they were under a lot of spiritual attack. And as someone in Christian leadership, I can definitely relate to that. But here are a few things that I want to say in summary. When we are dealing with weakness in other Christians, weakness in our spiritual heroes, weakness in our mentors, there are Christians in history that we can learn from and look up to. There are Christians that are still living today that we can learn from and look up to, but we should never put them on a pedestal or think that they are on some level that cannot be attained. I was really blessed by this quote that I found in a Leonard Ravenhill book a few years ago, and he was quoting someone else, but the quote says something like this, every Old or New Testament saint was on a level that was quite within our grasp. The same spiritual power that enabled them to become our spiritual heroes is also available to us. That is so encouraging because it reminds us that we all serve the same God and it is his grace, his work, his truth, and his faithfulness that we should focus on when we're looking up to other Christians who have gone before us. The purpose in gleaning from other Christians' lives is to see how God powerfully worked in their lives, how God led them to apply truth to their unique situations, and how God continued to show himself faithful to them every step of their journey. The purpose is not to focus on that person's amazing achievements or how incredible they were, or even to overfocus on their human weakness, their mistakes and their struggles to the point where we give up even going after more in our own lives. Our goal as we interact with other people every single day should be to reflect Jesus, to draw attention to Jesus Christ and not to ourselves. And in studying Christian heroes and looking up to other Christians, our focus should still remain on Jesus, not on just the person we admire, but on the principle, the nature of Christ that we see in their lives. And one final thought that I'd like to share, you know, we often wonder where are the Christian heroes of today? And I've heard people say that, why are we always having to read these old biographies to find, you know, true Christian heroism? Maybe such a thing doesn't exist. Maybe those stories were over-exaggerated and they, these people didn't really have these powerful walks with Christ because I look around and I don't see very many people living that way today. What I would say to that is that God is asking us to rise up and live the kind of lives now that will inspire future generations, the generations that will come after us. So instead of looking around and saying, where are the Christian heroes of today? Say, Lord, by your grace, make me into a Christian hero. Now, people may never write a book about you, or you may never do something that people would think is really notable. But that brings me back to Biddy Chambers' example, because I think she's truly an amazing example of someone who did not set out to accomplish something great for God. She didn't think of herself as a Christian hero. In fact, one of her biographies, the author says she rarely had a 24-hour period in which it seems she accomplished something great for God, but the sum total of her life 
actually had more impact on Christians all around the world than many pastors and missionaries put together. And so she was just simply humbly living before God and taking one step of obedience at a time. And that's something that all of us can do. We don't have to think of ourselves as Christian heroes to say yes to God and whatever he's asking us to do. So I encourage you to ask God, what small steps of obedience is he asking you to take today? He will be faithful to show you what those are. Your life can make an impact on future generations, and it does not mean that you won't have struggles or that you need to be perfect. It simply means that you need to make yourself available to God without holding anything back. That's when he can work in and through our lives. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Next week, we'll be highlighting some more stories of Christian women in history, but I wanted to just take a detour today and talk about this specific principle because I know it can be a distraction for so many of us as we look up to other Christians. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life for Christ, I encourage you to visit our website at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.